This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of intertrochanteric fractures from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Starting with a brief summary, intertrochanteric femur fractures are extracapsular fractures of the proximal femur at the level of the greater and lesser trochanter most commonly seen following ground-level falls in the elderly population. Diagnosis is made with orthogonal radiographs of the hip in patients that present with an inability to bear weight. The treatment of intertrochanteric fractures is operative, with a sliding hip screw versus cephalomedullary nail depending on the fracture stability and fracture orientation. In this episode, we will discuss the epidemiology, etiology, relevant anatomy, classification systems, clinical presentation, imaging finding, treatment options, treatment techniques, complications of intertrochanteric fractures, and the overall prognosis. Starting with epidemiology, the incidence of intertrochanteric fractures is relatively common, being roughly the same as femoral neck fractures. Demographically, there is a female to male ratio that ranges between 2 to 1 and 8 to 1, and it should be noted that typically older age patients present with femoral neck fractures as opposed to intertrochanteric fractures. One of the most important risk factors to note regarding intertrochanteric fractures is that proximal humerus fractures increase the risk of hip fractures for one year. Moving on to discuss the etiology of these fractures, the mechanism is divided between elderly and young patients. In elderly patients, intertrochanteric fractures result from low-energy falls in osteoporotic patients, whereas in young patients, intertrochanteric fractures are the result of high-energy trauma. The relevant anatomy to be aware of regarding intertrochanteric fractures relates primarily to the osteology. The intertrochanteric area exists between the greater and lesser trochanters. This is made of a dense trabecular bone. The calcar femoralis should also be kept in mind when discussing the osteology of the intertrochanteric region. The calcar femorale is a vertical wall of dense bone that extends from the posteromedial aspect of the femoral shaft to the posterior portion of the femoral neck and helps to determine stable versus unstable fracture patterns. This determination of stability is arguably the most reliable method of classification for these intertrochanteric fractures. The classification system for intertrochanteric fractures is divided into stable and unstable fractures. A stable intertrochanteric femur fracture is defined as having an intact posteromedial cortex, and the clinical significance of this is that it will resist medial compressive loads once reduced. An unstable intertroch fracture is defined as having comminution of the posteromedial cortex and a thinner lateral wall thickness. The lateral wall thickness is measured 3 centimeters distal from the innominate tubercle at 135 degrees to the fracture site. A thickness less than 20.5 millimeters suggests the risk of postoperative lateral wall fracture and should be treated with an intramedullary implant rather than a sliding hip screw. The clinical significance of an unstable intertrochanteric fracture is that the fracture will collapse into varus and retroversion when loaded. Examples of unstable intertrochanteric femur fractures include fractures with a large posteromedial fragment, for instance, fractures in which the lesser trochanter is displaced, fractures with subtrochanteric extension, and fractures with reverse obliquity, which is defined as an oblique fracture line extending from the medial cortex both laterally and distally. Regarding the clinical presentation of these patients, on physical examination, the lower extremity will be painful, shortened, and externally rotated. Radiographs should be obtained with recommended views including an AP of the pelvis, an AP of the hip, a cross-table lateral, and full-length femur radiographs. A CT or MRI may be useful if radiographs are negative but the physical exam is consistent with fractures. An MRI may be most useful 
to evaluate intertrochanteric extension with an isolated greater trochanteric fracture pattern. Regarding treatment options, these may be divided into non-operative and operative intervention. Non-operative intervention with non-weight bearing with early out-of-bed-to-chair is indicated for non-ambulatory patients and patients at higher risk for perioperative mortality. The outcomes of non-operative intervention for these intertrochanteric fractures are poor, with high rates of pneumonia, urinary tract infections, decubiti, and DVTs. Thus, operative intervention is typically recommended. Operative intervention can be performed with sliding hip compression screws, intramedullary hip screws, otherwise known as cephalomedullary nails, and arthroplasty. Sliding hip compression screws are indicated for stable intertrochanteric fractures. The outcomes of sliding hip compression screws are equal when compared to intramedullary hip screws for stable fracture patterns and are more cost-effective in stable fracture patterns than cephalomedullary nails. Regarding intramedullary hip screws or cephalomedullary nails, these are indicated for stable fracture patterns, unstable fracture patterns, reverse obliquity fractures, fractures with subtrochanteric extension, and fractures with a lack of integrity of the femoral wall. Regarding reverse obliquity fractures, there is a 56% failure rate when treated with a sliding hip screw, and fractures that have a lack of femoral wall integrity are associated with increased displacement and collapse when treated with a sliding hip screw. Remember, there is also an increased risk of lateral wall fracture with decreasing lateral wall thickness. Regarding the outcomes of these intramedullary hip screws, they are equivalent to sliding hip screws for stable fracture patterns. However, the use of intramedullary nails has significantly increased in the last decade. Moving on to discuss arthroplasty as a treatment option, this is indicated for severely comminuted fractures and in patients with pre-existing symptomatic degenerative arthritis. It is also indicated for osteoporotic bone that is unlikely to hold internal fixation and as a salvage option for failed internal fixation. Next, we will delve a little further into the techniques for these treatment options. Regarding sliding hip compression screws, the technique includes obtaining a correct neck-to-shaft relationship. The lag screw should be placed with a tip-to-apex distance less than 25 millimeters, as a distance greater than 25 millimeters is associated with increased failure rates. It should also be noted that a four-hole plate shows no benefit clinically or biomechanically over a two-hole plate. The pros of sliding hip compression screws include that they allow a dynamic interfragmentary compression, they are low-cost option, and there is no violation of the hip abductors. The cons of this technique include that this is an open technique, and thus has an increased blood loss risk. Sliding hip compression screw is also not advisable in unstable fracture patterns as it may result in collapse, limb shortening, and medialization of the shaft. Notably, in patients with left-sided fractures, sliding hip compression screws can cause an anterior spike malreduction in unstable fractures due to screw torque. Regarding intramedullary hip screws, the technique for intramedullary hip screw can be divided between short implants and long implants. Short implants can have optional distal locking screws and are recommended for standard obliquity fractures. Long implants are recommended for standard obliquity fractures, reverse obliquity fractures, and fractures with subtrochanteric extension. The pros of intramedullary hip screw fixation include that it is a percutaneous approach with minimal blood loss risk, and that they may be used in an unstable fracture pattern. The cons of intramedullary hip screw fixation include a risk of periprosthetic fracture, higher associated costs than sliding hip screw fixation, and it requires violation of the hip abductors for insertion. Moving on to discuss arthroplasty, 
The technique for arthroplasty often requires a cow-car replacing prosthesis, and an attempt must be made to fix the greater trochanter to the shaft. The pros of arthroplasty include a possible earlier return to full weight-bearing, while the cons of arthroplasty include an increased risk of blood loss and the fact that these fractures may require use of prostheses that some surgeons are unfamiliar with. Next, we will move on to discuss complications of intertrochanteric fractures. These include implant failure and cutout, anterior perforation of the distal femur, non-union, or malunion. Regarding implant failure and cutout, this is the most common complication and usually occurs within the first three months. Implant failure and cutout is often the cause of an inadequate tip-to-apex distance of the screw placed, noting that a tip-to-apex distance greater than 45 millimeters is associated with a 60% failure rate. Treatment of implant failure and cutout can be divided between young and elderly patients. In young patients, a corrective osteotomy and or a revision open reduction internal fixation may be performed, whereas in elderly patients, total hip arthroplasty is often the better option. Regarding the complication of anterior perforation of the distal femur, this can occur following intramedullary screw fixation. The cause of anterior perforation of the distal femur is a mismatch of the radius of curvature of the femur and the implant, with the radius of curvature of the femur being shorter and the radius of curvature of the implant being longer. Note that a posterior starting point on the greater trochanter may also lead to anterior perforation. Regarding non-union, the incidence of non-union is less than 2%, and treatment of non-union would be revision ORIF with bone grafting or a proximal femoral replacement. Lastly, we will discuss malunion, which is typically seen with varus and rotational deformities, and the treatment would be a corrective osteotomy. Lastly, we will discuss the prognosis of intertrochanteric femur fractures. Again, the rates of non-union and malunion are low. However, there is a 20 to 30% mortality risk in the first year following fracture. The factors that increase mortality include male gender, which carries a 25 to 30% mortality risk, compared to a female gender, which carries a 20% mortality risk. Mortality is higher in intertrochanteric fractures compared to femoral neck fractures. And mortality is also increased with an operative delay greater than two days, age greater than 85, two or more pre-existing medical conditions, and an ASA classification of three or four. Factors that decrease mortality include surgery within 48 hours, and early medical optimization and co-management with medical hospitalists or geriatricians. Now that we've gotten a general overview of this topic, let's review a few questions to see how this material has been tested in the past. Question one. All of the following factors are associated with increased risk of failure when treating an intertrochanteric hip fracture with a dynamic hip screw, except one, reverse obliquity fracture pattern, two, tip to apex distance of 32 millimeters, three, tip to apex distance of 27 millimeters, four, use of a two-hole side plate, or five, lateral wall comminution. The correct answer is four, use of a two-hole side plate. All of the factors listed are associated with an increased risk of failure when treating an intertrochanteric hip fracture except for the use of a two-hole side plate DHS, which has been shown to be an effective treatment for IT fractures. Dynamic hip screw or DHS fixation of intertrochanteric hip fractures has been shown to produce good results when used appropriately. 
A common contraindication for the use of a DHS is an unstable fracture pattern, such as those with a reverse obliquity or those associated with lateral wall comminution. Tip to apex distance exceeding 25 millimeters has also been shown to increase the risk of screw cutout and loss of reduction. Baumgartner et al. present a review of 198 fractures to assess how predictive the tip to apex distance, or TAD, is in predicting eventual screw cutout. The average TAD for the successfully treated hip was 24 millimeters, while the average TAD for hips that experienced cutout was 38 millimeters. There were no cases of cutout when the TAD was less than 25 millimeters. Bolhofner et al. present a review of the outcomes for 69 patients with intertrochanteric hip fractures, treated with a 135-degree two-hole DHS. They report low blood loss with a range of 10 to 300 cc's at an average of 77 cc's, and no cases of failure of fixation due to loss of fixation of the two-hole side plate. Three failures were noted two due to screw cutout, and one due to screw plate dissociation. Regarding the incorrect answers, answer one is incorrect as a reverse obliquity fracture pattern is a contraindication to the use of a DHS. This pattern may lead to distraction of the fracture rather than compression and allow excessive medialization of the femoral shaft. Answers two and three are incorrect as both of these TAD values exceed the recommended value of 25 millimeters and answer 5 is incorrect as lateral wall comminution is a contraindication to the use of a DHS as it could allow excessive medialization of the femoral shaft as the screw slides laterally. Next question. An 87-year-old female sustained an unstable intertrochanteric femur fracture. Which of the following is or are a risk factor that increased the risk of perforation of the anterior cortex during surgical treatment with a long cephalomedullary nail? One. Radius of curvature mismatch between the bone and the implant. 2. Anterior starting point on the greater trochanter. 3. Posterior starting point on the greater trochanter. 4. Answers 1 and 2. Or 5. Answers 1 and 3. The correct answer is 5. Answers 1 and 3. Radius of curvature mismatch between the bone and the implant and a posterior starting point on the greater trochanter. This patient sustained an intertrochanteric femur fracture. A mismatch of curvature between the nail and a posterior starting point are both risk factors for anterior cortex perforation during surgical treatment with a long cephalomedullary nail. When treating elderly patients with long intramedullary nails, there are certain factors that need to be accounted for. There is a mismatch between the radius of curvature of the femoral nails currently available to the femoral canal, i.e. nails with a larger radius of curvature, which are straighter, are being inserted into a smaller radius of curvature in the femur, which is less straight than the nail. As a result, the distal tip of the nail is forced into a non-anatomic anterior position during final seating of the nail distally. To avoid this complication, a lateral view of the distal femur while inserting the nail is recommended. Additionally, a posterior starting point on the greater trochanter is also a risk factor for anterior perforation of the nail. Ostrom et al. performed a case report of three cases with penetration of the distal femoral anterior cortex during intramedullary nailing for subtrochanteric femur fractures. They report that the difference in the femoral anterior posterior bow between the bone and the implant is a contributing factor to the distal femoral anterior cortex perforation. The radius of curvature of the femur is less than the radius of curvature of the nails. 
Roberts et al. performed a retrospective review to determine the risk factors for impingement and penetration of the anterior cortex of the distal femur during intramedullary nailing of proximal femur fractures. They found that shorter patients and patients with an increased femoral bow were likely to have an anterior nail tip position or cortical impingement. They conclude that anterior starting points should be used to avoid this complication. Last question. What is the most cost-effective implant indicated for a stable intertrochanteric hip fracture, assuming the hospital purchases the implants at cost from the manufacturer? 1. A long cephalomedullary nail. 2. Short cephalomedullary nail. 3. Sliding hip screw. 4. Hemiarthroplasty. Or 5. Cannulated screws. The correct answer is 3, a sliding hip screw. In a stable intertrochanteric hip fracture as seen in this patient, a sliding hip screw, or SHS, or a cephalomedullary nail, otherwise known as a CMN, would be indicated. The sliding hip screw is the cheaper implant. In a standard obliquity intertrochanteric fracture without lateral wall comminution, an SHS is a cost-effective option. In reverse obliquity fractures or those with lateral wall comminution that are considered unstable, there is an increased risk of failure with this implant and a CMN should be considered. There is some controversy in terms of short and intermediate nail indications, which are attractive because they do not require reaming. SHS implants are contraindicated in subtrochanteric fractures. Although some hospitals receive discounts on implants, in general, intramedullary nail options are more expensive than SHS. Swart et al examine the cost-effectiveness of different fixation options for intertrochanteric hip fractures. They compared SHS and CMN implants using an expected value decision analysis model, taking into account fracture patterns, failure rates, and revision costs. In their study, the average cost of an SHS was $2,000 compared to $3,200 for a standard CMN. They concluded that the SHS was likely more cost-effective for stable and questionably stable fractures compared to CMN fixation, whereas CMN was more cost-effective for reverse obliquity patterns. Kaplan et al. provided a review article on the surgical management of intertrochanteric fractures. Factors to determine treatment should include the patient's medical comorbidities, pre-existing arthritis, bone quality, and fracture morphology. Their study did not find an appreciable difference in patient outcomes using either CMN or SHS for stable intertrochanteric fractures. Surgeon experience and implant costs should, therefore, drive the decision-making process for implant selection. Regarding the incorrect answers, answers 1 and 2, a long or short cephalomedullary nail, is incorrect as both of these options are appropriate for this fracture but more costly than an SHS. Answer 4, Hemiarthroplasty is incorrect, as arthroplasty is not indicated for this patient with a stable intertrochanteric fracture with preserved joint space. And answer 5, cannulated screws are incorrect, as they are not indicated for an intertrochanteric fracture. That is all for this review about intertrochanteric fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or the mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value so far from the OrthoBullets podcast, 
please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, please be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.